Good morning. Well, last week, Peter concluded our series on the gospel according to Matthew, a whole year in the book of Matthew, more than a year in the book of Matthew, with a final look at what has become known as the Great Commission. When Jesus sent his followers out into the world to help people to know and follow Jesus. He also mentioned that with the plans to send the Horners and the Fosters from Gateway, and with our expansion plans all about us being sent across the river to West St. Paul, and with four couples whom we previously sent out, coming here in this spring and summer for home visits, global workers that we've sent out, it seemed appropriate to follow up our series on the book of Matthew with a series called Serving as Senders. Here at Gateway, we want to be a church that's eager to serve God as we send people out in the same way that Jesus sent his own disciples out at the Great Commission to share his good news, to share the gospel with the world around us. And so over the next number of weeks, we've invited people who have been sent out from Gateway, people who are being sent out from Gateway, to come and share uh, about how God stirred them to obey God in this way. And the reason it's so valuable to hear how God stirred them to be sent is because they're not the only ones from Gateway whom God wants to send. God wants to send each one of us as Christ followers out into a world that desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus. The Great Commission applies to all of us who follow Jesus. Christ followers who are sent out into a world that needs Jesus. And the only difference between us all is who he sends us to and what he sends us to do. But what we have in common is that we are all sent. Each one of us has a unique mission to carry out for God according to the gifts and the passions that God has given you. When I returned to Canada after spending a year in northern Sudan in 1987, I got an office job at Reimer Express Lines, and then I started getting involved here at Gateway Church. That was when Gateway just began to build on this property at Panet Road, and we had built the initial structure in 1988 and officially moved in by September of that year. And after we began Sunday services here, I began wondering how God wanted to be, how God wanted me, me to be salt and light in this new community that we as a church had moved into. I wondered how I could start applying those same community development principles that I'd been practicing in Sudan right here in Winnipeg. And so I decided to fast and pray for about a week, for seven days, for regarding those questions. Now, to be totally honest, I'm a bit of a hermit when it comes to my prayer life. I pray in closets, in small rooms. Those are, that's ideal for me. And um, I'd prefer to pray in a cave, probably, than out in a meadow. And so I spent that entire week in my apartment when I wasn't at Reimer's, in my apartment just praying. And suddenly it occurred to me, 
on the last day of fasting and praying, hey, maybe I should go pray in the neighborhood that I'm praying about. Like, why not, you know? I'd never heard of prayer walks at that time. So I decided to go for a prayer drive. And so I went, and I remember noticing various things about the neighborhood. I remember noticing how densely populated the neighborhood was immediately across Panet from us here. All the different apartment buildings and housing complexes. I remember seeing a young lady who was about 18 or 19 years old who was pushing a baby stroller toward the 7-Eleven. I can still picture her coming down the sidewalk. And I remember wondering, I wonder how much, if she's a single mom, which she appears to be, how much she would be representative of this neighborhood and the people in this neighborhood. And then I remember, I'll never forget, I wish I'd taken a picture of it, but in those days there were no smartphones. But there was this banner on the side of the big apartment buildings on Monroe and Panet there, a big banner on the side of the building that said, Now Renting. And immediately when I saw that sign, I knew God was calling me to move into this neighborhood. And I moved into the neighborhood within two months. God was sending me not to Sudan this time, but to Elmwood, to this neighborhood, to be salt and light for him. God sends us across oceans. He sends us across cities. He sends us across streets. And that's why we as a church want to serve him as senders. We want as a church, we want to be sending people wherever he calls us to go. And that's why I'm calling this first sermon in this brief series that'll go till the end of June, Jesus saves us to send us. And my points are really quite simple. Jesus got around, Jesus got a view, and Jesus got on with it. So my text for this morning happens to be in Matthew. (laughs) You know how when you're reading a book and it comes to an end and you think, oh, this is so sad that this book has to end. Well, that's how I feel about this series on Matthew. So I'm going to keep preaching from Matthew. I'm going to go to chapter 9, verse 35. And it'll appear on the screen behind me in the English Standard Version. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. When Jesus was on this earth, he didn't just settle down in one spot and wait for the crowds to come to him. Even though they would have come, even though there's probably plenty to do in any one place that he could have chosen, Jesus instead chose to get around. In Mark's gospel, Mark wrote that, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. 
And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The people in the town that Jesus was in didn't want him to leave, but Jesus still wanted to leave and to get around to other places as well. And I believe that desire was directly related to the fact that Jesus had just spent some time praying because we know in God's word that it says Jesus could do nothing of his own accord, but only what he saw his father doing. And he knew what his father was doing from his life of prayer. Because prayer is not just talking. Prayer is hearing from our Father in heaven who gives us instructions. That's why we so emphasize the Hearing God course. Because a life with God in which we struggle to hear God is, a, uh, is not what God intended. God intended us for to have a clear communication back and forth with him. And so Jesus had heard. His father telling him to go to these other towns. In Matthew it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching and proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel. Jesus got around. And I believe that's what the, that God the Father wants his church to do today. Because the Bible says that we're the body of Christ. If Christ got around, certainly he wants his body to get around. Jesus had been raised from the dead and was now in heaven. And then he commissioned his disciples to represent him throughout the entire earth. To go and make disciples of all nations. To literally be his body in this world. All over the world. That's what he's called us to. Jesus commanded his followers to be witnesses of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. He said, you will be my witnesses and sent them to the major city of the region, Jerusalem, and then to the entire region beyond it. And then the Bible says, to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus got around to all the cities and villages throughout all Galilee, and then he wants us to pick up where he left off so that we can eventually get around to the ends of the earth. Well, Gateway has been doing that. We are getting around. We've sought, as we've sought to serve the Lord as senders, we've sent a couple to work in Mexico to bring the good news to people steeped in Catholicism. We've sent two couples to Romania to work among the gypsy people who live in great poverty over there. We've sent a couple to West Africa to train up local Christians who are then able to be sent out to reach other people in Africa. We've sent a family out so that they could reach Muslims throughout the Muslim world by using the internet. And they're reaching thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of Christians or of Muslims that way. And some of them are becoming Christians. And we've sent someone to Central Asia And we've sent a family to an island in the far, far east to work among unreached people, people who have not been reached with the gospel. That is the ends of the earth. And that's not even mentioning all the families we've sent out over the years on short-term missions and long-term missions. In fact, 
Since Panet moved to this location, Gateway has sent people to 40 different nations around the world in the last 30 years. 40 nations have been reached. But God's not finished. There's more people and more places that are to be reached as God calls gateway throughout all the cities and to the ends of the earth. Now God is calling two wonderful people to go across the ocean to York, England, and two other people across the tundra to the Paw, Manitoba. And he's sending us across the river to West St. Paul. And he might even be calling some of us to, to move across the tracks. To have a presence here that remains in this neighborhood at the Colsbeck Church building. So it's worth noting that in Matthew 9, as all this sending was going on in Jesus' time, there's a part of the sending that he wants going on in our time as well. When Jesus was getting out to all these places, what was important to him was to speak the truth and to demonstrate the truth. And Matthew describes the truth that Jesus spoke and demonstrated as the gospel of the kingdom. That's what he was bringing people. Now that's an interesting term. We know that gospel means good news. And kingdom, as in the kingdom of God, represents the rule and reign of God in this world. In other words, God's lordship in our lives. So the gospel is the good news of God's lordship in our lives. And the reason God's lordship is good news is because when God rules in our lives, his good and perfect will is accomplished. His will won't be accomplished in our lives if his lordship isn't at work in our lives. And that means all God's purposes that God has planned for us will be accomplished, including his plan for us to have an eternal relationship with him. That's what Jesus was proclaiming. That's what he was demonstrating. 30 years ago, as we began working in this community here, I got involved as a community rep at the Child and Family Services office that was local in this community, an Elmwood office that CFS had here. They had a, a, a neighborhood committee. And I joined that committee. And by being on that committee, I learned loads of things about the neighborhood. And as we got to know the neighborhood, we began to survey the neighborhood. We did surveys in the area, and we met loads of people that way. And that's how we identified the needs, for example, for having a weekly food bank in our building that has been running on a weekly basis with some breaks for Christmas and other holidays like Easter, um, for 26 years, since August of 1992. That's how long we've been running a food bank and the people have been coming to us as well as us going out into the neighborhood. That's just one of the many ways we sought to demonstrate the gospel. But those surveys led to proclamation as well. Two of the people I met while doing that survey were Tom and Wendy. Tom was in his 50s and I was in my 20s in those days, but we became very good friends. And, but whenever I tried to speak to Tom about Jesus or the gospel, he would just leave the room. He would just walk away. <laughs> just suddenly. 
that. I'd mention Jesus and he'd just suddenly turn and walk away. The conversation would be over. So he did that repeatedly. And yet I knew that Tom was struggling with some big things. I knew there was turmoil in his heart. So then one blustery winter night, I was walking home in the dark and I saw Tom in the in the dimness of the streetlights, I saw Tom approaching. And it was blustery. It was blowing. We were both kind of hunched over as we approached each other. And some snow blowing in the air. And as we got beside each other under the street lamp, we stopped. I said, how you doing, Tom? And he's hunched over. And he says, ah, I'm not good, Ken. And he told me about some, some things that were going on. That weren't easy for him. And I knew he wasn't interested in hearing the gospel. But I listened and then I said, Wow, that's that's really hard. That's really tough. And we just looked at each other and then walked our separate ways. In the night, we walked away from each other. And I wondered, what's it going to take for Tom? Well, it was only some weeks later that Tom didn't walk away, but he walked back. He walked here to this building. I remember we sat in that cloakroom out there. He came to the front door, and he repeated to me how badly he was doing. And I said, Tom, Tom, you know you're talking to a pastor. You're coming to me with these issues. You know that I've only got one answer for you, Tom. You need Jesus. And Tom didn't walk away that time. He didn't leave the room that time. We sat down on a couple chairs in that little cloakroom, and Tom became a Christian that day. Tom gave his heart to Jesus, and he lived for Jesus. Tom's not alive today. Some of the problems he was going through then were part of the reason he's not alive today. Health issues. But he's in heaven rejoicing before the Lord. Proclamation is a major reason why Jesus wants us getting out there. So as God is sending us to neighborhoods across the river where he wants us to once again, he wants us to once again get around, get around to people. And one way we can get around even before we move there is to do life over there. We don't have to wait until we've moved. We don't have to wait two years or a year and a half or whatever it's going to be before we get around over there. We can start doing some shopping there. We can start getting haircuts there. We could start eating at restaurants there. We can start meeting people there. Building relationships with people. Even we could walk our dogs there. Maybe I could lose my dog there. <laughs> doing life there means meeting people people there and sharing the good news of God's lordship in our lives. So looking back at Matthew 9, we see that as Jesus got around, Jesus got a view. Jesus got a view. He saw things. He saw things that were beyond external circumstances What Jesus saw with his natural eyes were multitudes flocking to him. They were coming to him like like sheep coming to a shepherd. And, And these people were coming with faith. They had enough faith to see amazing healings, amazing miracles were going on. But despite those outward appearances, Jesus knew that that these people were lost and that they had no shepherd. 
And that's why they were coming, because they had no shepherd, and they weren't necessarily recognizing him as their shepherd. We've seen people flocking in Winnipeg lately. Yeah? We've seen people flocking, wearing white. And what's going on here regarding the Jets is truly exciting. Don't get me wrong. I find it exciting. But it appears externally that people are finding great fulfillment in all that. But when it's over, those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior will still be empty and unfulfilled. The jets are not going to satisfy the desires of their heart. Many of the people we see in this city are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that's what Jesus wants us to see. Just as Jesus' response was to feel compassion for those aimless, desperate people, I believe God wants our response to be the same. When he gives us a view of the people of the city, he wants us to recognize the harassed and the helpless when we see them. As we began Sunday meetings in this neighborhood, In 1988, I'll never forget one particular response card I received. Uh, It was a a response card asking for a pastoral visit. Uh, They they weren't somebody who, who they'd only been to Gateway that one time, and they requested a visit. And they lived in these apartments over on Privet. And um, so I arranged a visit with them. And as I knocked on the door, I heard a woman yelling something, and then a man opened the door looking quite cheerful, but a little bit tipsy. It was the middle of the afternoon. And as I walked in and saw the bottles on the table, I thought, well, this is going to be an interesting visit. And I can't recall much of what we talked about in that visit, but I do remember that they shared a little bit about their lives. And what I remember most It was being laughed at and being insulted and then being shouted at and sworn at as I left the apartment and walked down the apartment hallway toward the elevator. And that was a nice pastoral visit. I had just come face to face with the harassed and the helpless. How was I going to respond to these two sheep without a shepherd? Well, I can remember it as if it was yesterday, exactly what I felt as I walked down that hallway, hearing the swearing in the background as I left the apartment. I remember thinking, I've just met two people of peace. You know what a man of peace is, right, in the Bible? It's a place where if you go into a town, Jesus says, if a man of peace welcomes you into his home, stay there and minister from that place. That's a man of peace. Or if it's a woman, a woman of peace. Uh, From all appearances, externally, this did not look like a man and woman of peace. But I knew in my spirit, Jesus had just given me a view of a person a man and woman of peace. I not only felt compassion for them, but I felt confident that God was on the move in their lives. You see, there's a principle to be remembered here. You're more likely to feel compassion for those you see and touch than for those you simply think about or even pray about. 
When you see people, when you touch them, when you get into their lives, you start to feel compassion like you wouldn't have from a distance. And I was feeling not only compassion for them, but confidence on their behalf. This Greek word used for compassion in Matthew 9 uh, refers to deep feelings and affections of the heart. Such deep feelings and affections are more likely to be felt when you get a proper view of people, when you see and minister among them. That's how we see internal things rather than just external things. When I went back a second time to that apartment, and I did go back many times to that apartment, they were totally sober. And in that next conversation, they shared how desperate they were to have Jesus back in their lives. They'd been following Jesus in years gone by. And they desperately wanted him back. They rededicated their lives back to the Lord. They began attending Gateway. They stopped drinking. We started a crowded Bible study in their apartment. The husband found steady employment. The wife attended the King's Commission, a a one-year full-time post-secondary Bible school that we offered here at one time. And the wife helped me launch a standing room only Bible study in an old rooming house downtown. It was like, and people got saved there too. Wow. Jesus is calling us to his view of people. His view of this city. In John's gospel, Jesus says, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Matthew tells us who the harvest is. It's the harassed and the helpless. They're there. They're in your lives. They're in your neighborhood. They're in your workplace. They're in your schools. And when you meet them, think of them as the harvest. Not as the resistant. Not as the reluctant. Not as the, the drunk, abusive people that those two people I met in that apartment were. No, those were harassed and helpless people. That must mean they're the harvest. That's why I could have been so confident. And I believe that's why God saved them. When Jesus saw the harassed and the helpless, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. So we can see that as Jesus got around, He got a view. But what we see next is that Jesus got on with it. And he got his disciples on with it too. Onto the job of harvesting. He said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And a few verses later, Matthew wrote, these twelve Jesus sent out. Jesus' idea of getting on with it is to pray and to get going. And to get going filled with faith because Jesus assures us of this plentiful harvest. Let's not be filled with doubt that no one will respond because God assures us in this passage that the harvest is so huge that more workers are needed. There's not enough workers. Do we actually believe that's true of Winnipeg? Or do we actually believe that Winnipeg would be an exception to this? Is that possible? That we would think of our own city? Oh no, Jesus, that's true 
in those countries or those parts of the world or, or that part of North America, but, but not here. No, it is true here. The harassed and the helpless are here as much as anywhere. And that means the harvest is here. So when we see a need, the need of the harassed and the helpless, and the need of there being too few workers, the best response is to pray. And to be willing to be part of the answer to our prayers. You see, there's no break. There's no, when, when Matthew was first written, there was no chapter breaks in it. It's not like there was a division between chapter 9 and chapter 10. It's, it's, Matthew goes straight from pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Next sentence, and he called to him 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits and to heal every disease and every affliction. And these 12 he sent out. He said, pray and get on with it. That's what his instructions were. This passage shows us that prayer is vital, but that prayer must also be combined with action. Often we as Christians fall into two camps. Some see a need and just fly into action to get something done, while others earnestly seek God in prayer and then say, Here I am, Lord. Send my sister. But while what we need to realize is that without prayer, we won't get anything done. And that prayer without a willingness to be part of the answer also leaves things undone. Because whoever prays for the harvest is someone God wants to put responsibility for the harvest into their hands. He wants, to, he wants them to be a part of the answer to that prayer. So we pray not just because more workers are needed, but because we need the help of the God who is the Lord of the harvest. And I believe that Jesus also urges us to pray in this way because he wants us as his disciples to show the world that we're depending on him as our shepherd before we go and invite others to do the same. That's what prayer is an expression of, dependence on God. It's only if we are routinely seeking Jesus in a life of dependent prayer that we'll be able to go out to sheep without a shepherd and give them more than just mere information about Jesus. Too often, if our prayer lives are dull or absent, all we're offering people is information about Jesus, but we're not sharing a life with Jesus that we have with him. And Jesus wants us to have rich prayer lives calling on him as the Lord of the harvest, but going to people in the harvest and offering the life of Jesus we found in prayer. In the midst of that relationship with Jesus, it's vital that we remember if Jesus is our shepherd, he's also our Lord. That makes us sheep if he's a shepherd. And for sheep, the shepherd is Lord. He's in charge of the sheep. We're to be dependent on Jesus in earnest prayer and submitted to him in obedient service. Jesus is our boss. And that's why he can refer to us in this passage as laborers. So we're both sheep of his pasture and workers in his harvest fields. Well, if you've been around Gateway for very long, you'll notice that we don't use the word missionary very often, if, if at all. I personally feel like the word missionary sounds too much like a specialist or a professional 
that's doing a special job that no one else is called to. Oh, let's send out that missionary as though they're the only missionary. We think of them as an elite class of super spiritual Christians who become missionaries and pluck up tent pegs and move house and home. A Christian doesn't become a missionary. Every Christian is a missionary in the same way every man or woman or boy or girl is a person. The two are inseparable by definition. A Christian is a missionary. A missionary is a Christian. The reason our understanding of this term missionary is so important is because as long as we see it as a career one chooses rather than as a command one champions, we will continue to see our participation in the Great Commission as an option rather than a lifestyle. And a missionary as a category of people rather than a characteristic of a Christian. That is who we are. Jesus saved us to send us. Unless we see missions as an activity of the whole church, the task of the harvest will fall on too few people. The fact is the word missionary isn't even used in the Bible. Come on, check your concordance. It's not there. But the Bible does call us laborers or workers. We're sent by Jesus to work in his harvest fields, meaning this world in which we live. In Matthew 9 Verses 37 to 38 is a major reason we call those we send out from Gateway workers. If somebody is sent to another part of the world, we call them global workers. If they're working here in Winnipeg, which is all of us, we're home workers. Are you ready to get on with that work? Are you ready to be a worker? Just before I conclude, allow me to give a few ways to get around to get a view, and to get on with it. To get around, it's real simple. Get outside when your neighbors are outside. Go for walks in your neighborhood. Make a point to start a conversation with your neighbors. Do acts of kindness for your neighbors. And most importantly, pray for your neighbors. It's so easy to just, and and especially as this weather warms up, even in the winter, it's possible. I remember my neighbor trying to start his snowblower. It wouldn't start. It wouldn't start. It wouldn't start. I thought, no, I should probably go pray for him. I should go pray for his snowblower to start. Oh, I was very reluctant. But I went. I prayed for his snowblower to start. And it didn't start. <laughs> but it was an act of kindness. In the winter, I shovel my neighbor's snow. In the summer, I often mow my neighbor's boulevard. It's just so easy to do when I'm already out there doing my own place. And these are simple things we can do as we get to know our neighbors. If other things you enjoy become a distraction, like Jets games or or the latest Avengers movie, turn those distractions into invitations. Invite your neighbor to go with you or to watch the Jets game with you. If, if there is a game on Tuesday, there's an unsaved guy in this neighborhood across the street that's going to be watching the game with me. And uh, so I'm kind of, that's my motivation for them to win today. Uh, I, just want, I just want to watch the game with this unsaved friend that I've made. As you take in the view God gives you, I encourage you to ask God every day to show you or bring to you a man or woman of peace.
Ask God for that. That's become a regular prayer of mine. God, show me a man of peace. I want a man of peace in my life. A person whom God is prepared to hear the gospel. A person who has spiritual interest or hunger. A person whom you can start a simple Bible study with in your home or their home. If you'd like a simple but excellent resource, I highly recommend this one. It's called 30 Discipleship Exercises. They're each topic that covers all these foundational Christian topics. Each topic is two pages long, just two pages. And all it is is some scriptures where as you read each verse, you just circle which words in those verses jump out at you. And then you talk about why those words jumped out at you. Why did those words seem special to you? And then you, you write down your thoughts as you talk together. It's that simple. Why did that word, as you read this, why did that word, um, you know, lamp to my feet? I'm looking at the word Bible, that topic. Why did that jump out at you? And you talk about it. If you would like copies of these, if you would like, if you want to pray for a man or woman of peace in your life, and you'd like a resource to use when you meet them, some, something you can say, hey, you want to look at the Bible together? Do you want to get to know Jesus together? You can use this book. There's a table at the back where you can sign up to get copies of this book. Just let us know how many copies you need or how many that you want in faith for who God may bring to you. And thirdly, as you get on with it, if you want to offer people Jesus rather than simply info about Jesus, we need to have a personal life with Jesus that allows us to commune with him on a regular basis. I can give you some, one simple way to make sure this happens. Treat it the same way as you treat an appointment with your boss at work. Treat it the same way as you'd treat an appointment with a colleague. Set a time, set a place, and set an agenda. And keep at it. Set a time, set a place, set an agenda, and keep at it. Richard Foster writes, I have found that the most difficult problem is not finding time, but convincing myself that this is important enough to set aside the time. Make it your aim this spring and summer to get around to people who don't know Jesus and to get a proper view by asking God for his perspective on the people you get around to. And then get on with it in the harvest fields which God has placed you in by continually seeking God as you share the good news and demonstrate his love.